Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. My name is Amanda, and I am joined tonight by my co-hosts, Catherine and Ellie. And um, hi, Ellie. How are you? Hey, Amanda. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. And Catherine is on the line, too. She's um, in the background. She'll be live tweeting the show. And um, so we we won't be hearing her lovely voice tonight. And we uh, Jean has the night off, so we're sending her lots of silver love over the airwaves. Um, so the heart of every show is our guests and their recovery stories. In recovery meetings, it is common practice for one person to share their experience, strength, and hope, and then to pick a recovery topic for the group to discuss. So we have recreated that concept here on the Bubble Hour. Hearing that there are other people just like us with the same experiences, thoughts, and feelings is revolutionary. Tonight, we are thrilled to have Kristen S. with us to share her experience, strength, and hope. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hi. We um, really appreciate your service tonight. And um, without further ado, why don't we get right into you sharing your story with us? All right. Well, thank you very much. I just want to say I'm really honored and grateful tonight to um, have the opportunity. I'm coming up on seven months of sobriety and you know, it's been a long journey, and it took me a couple of times to, to get to this place. So I guess my story, you know, I come from a very loving home. My parents were divorced when I was um, less than a year old, and so I always grew up going between households. And I remember at a young age, at nine years old, I really wanted to go live with my mom. I lived with my dad and my stepmom, and so my dad packed my suitcase, and I was supposed to go live with my mom. And we show up, and at that point, my mom, for whatever reason, she couldn't have me live with her. So at that point in my life, it was like the first moment of, like, rejection. And I think from that moment at nine years old, that's where um, I learned codependency, and um, that's when I started to seek acceptance. So in high school, I just was always seeking self-approval. I was well-rounded. I was an overachiever. I grew up in a household where my dad was an alcoholic, but I never saw him drinking because he, my stepmom at the time, threatened that he would have, he would be kicked out of the house if he didn't stop drinking. And so he stopped drinking when I was like maybe four years old. So I never remember my dad drinking. But when I went to go visit my mom, she was always drinking wine. My mom's also an alcoholic. So I guess when you talk about being predisposed, I definitely genetically, you know, was kind of doomed because both my parents were alcoholics. So I grew up in my household. My parents, um, on my dad's side and my stepmom, they didn't drink. Uh, we went to church. I did every activity. And the first time I tried drinking in high school, I went with one of my cheerleading friends, and we went to a stadium, a football stadium. And I drank a lot, and my parents got a phone call that night, and they said, hi, this is the security uh, 
group here at the uh, stadium at the University of Florida, and we have your daughter. And my parents were like, no, no, there's no way you have my daughter. And um, so the first time I drank in high school, I blacked out, got in trouble. The next day I came home. I don't remember getting home. And I had to lay sod. And uh, it was a very, very long day. But I didn't drink again in high school. And that's when I met my high school sweetheart. And that's where he was like my everything. And I would do anything for him. And I remember I even followed him to college. And um, I didn't really drink in college until we broke up. And I was absolutely devastated. And I met some sorority girls and started drinking. And the first time I drank in college, once again, I blacked out, threw up. But I just thought it was normal. I thought, you know, that's what you do in college. And I got done with college in three and a half years. And I always had issues with drinking, though. I was always the first one to black out. And, but once again, I thought that was kind of normal. And I remember my sorority sisters, after one weekend of drinking, they kind of pulled me aside and I guess you could say they had like a mini intervention, and um, but that's when we were graduating. So I kind of separated from them and moved back home with my parents. And I would always go through these like spurts of like not drinking and then drinking and then getting into fitness and not drinking. And I started drinking at a at right after college, um, and I was always telling myself to like limit my happy hours and switch from liquor to beer and limit my shots but I didn't I I didn't associate that with anything and I remember going to my dad a couple of times saying you know dad I I just can't handle my booze sometimes and he's like well when you've had enough you'll quit and I I didn't really understand that and he never really talked about um his 12-step program so I just being the outgoing and the go-getter person that I am I just kept going at it and trying to like figure it out and manipulate it and control it and I just thought it was normal and there was always somebody around me that was worse off and so I entered into my sales career and I didn't even realize that at that point I was about to enter into an environment that was going to be really really rewarding financially and career-wise but it was also going to like just enable and uh turn my drinking into something that in college it was social but once I started working sales was extremely stressful and so then it started to become like a happy like I'd go to many many happy hours to manage my stress and it became almost like meditation so I guess before I meet my husband he's in sales as well and he's a big drinker and um, drinking was just a part of my life it's work hard play hard and that's what I did and I, I saw it accelerating, but at the time, after right after I got married, my uh, husband at the time, his dad was sick with pancreatic cancer, and, um, and then he passed away, and so that was the reason to drink a lot. And then my husband at the time didn't do well with that, so we drank a lot over that. And then he had a bunch of issues and actually got addicted to prescription medicine. So at that point, my life was just, um, kind of chaotic because I was trying to help this person and so it rationalized my daily wine drinking and um, and as it took place it, I just started drinking more and more till the point my marriage got really bad at that point too and I was actually um, traveling back and forth from one city to another for work and um and then that's when, you know, tragedy struck. I got a hit-and-run DUI. And um, you would think that would have been my rock bottom, but it wasn't. And I'm very blessed. 
and I actually even talking about this right now, um, anytime I hear the word DUI, my body physically, I feel shame. But um, I was able to get the right attorney and um, that was best friends with the prosecutor that was able to get me out of it. And thank God the lady only had $156 worth of damage to her car, and there wasn't even a dent on mine because I had tapped her on the highway. Um, so I, when I hear these stories where people, it, it's more serious and it could be extremely tragic, um, I know God was looking out for me that day. And um, I stopped drinking for about 60 days. I actually, I couldn't drive for 90 days. I actually paid my mother-in-law $8.50 an hour um, to drive me around so I didn't miss a beat at work. And, I mean, when I look back on this, the insanity of what I did, and I still thought it was okay to drink. And uh, and at the time, my, my marriage just took a turn, and he became very verbally just not a nice person. So I always had a reason to drink. I was a victim. I was in a bad marriage. Um, you know, everybody gets a DUI. Like, I, I always had a way to kind of rationalize things. And, um, and then the best thing happened to me. I got pregnant. But it was kind of the end of my marriage, getting pregnant, because he didn't want to have a baby. So... Once again, you know, abandonment with my mom when I was nine, and and now I'm getting pregnant, and my husband doesn't want anything to do with me or my my child that's about to come into the world. And mm-hmm. um, so that was that was tough. And I remember, so I, thank God I'm pregnant, right? So I, I'm not drinking. I I'm eating a ton of McDonald's, <laughs> but I'm not drinking. I'm pregnant. <laughs> um, you know, you know, I don't have to wake up in shame and guilt. And so that was good. And then when my daughter came, it was, it was the most beautiful thing in the world, but it was just, it was just such a sad environment because he was spiraling kind of downward with his own issues, which would be a whole nother show. Um, and, and I knew that I had this baby. And so very quickly, I remember one of my girlfriends said, you know, if you stop breastfeeding, you can drink wine. And as soon as that invitation opened up, I jumped on drinking wine. And very quick, I went from drinking two glasses of wine to drinking a bottle of wine every single day. And I didn't even know that I was obsessed about it. I just thought, you know, this I work, and then I take care of a infant, and I um, feed her and change her diapers, and this is all I do, and my husband's a jerk and I deserve this wine and um and then it just started um getting worse and worse and I remember Christmas Eve it's like I almost gave myself an award I wouldn't drink I wouldn't let myself get crazy if I didn't have anyone around to take care of my daughter but as soon as somebody was around I definitely like leaned right into the drinking and just let it rip and uh, I remember Christmas Eve I had a bunch of people at my house and I knew that they would take care of my daughter and I think I drank two bottles of wine I passed out on the bed I woke up so hungover that Christmas morning and um, of course I popped the visine sprayed the perfume took a you know shower and just acted like I felt like a rock star and I felt just horrible and that's and I googled um how to get sober I don't know what I googled but I came up up to the bubble hour and and Christmas night and the next three days all I did was listen to the bubble hour and I was like oh my gosh these women are sober and they sound happy and you know maybe this is what I need and um and then that's when I decided to go to a therapist and I started taking all the tests online 
and I, I, I passed all of them with flying colors. Like it was like screaming off the page. I was an alcoholic and, and I picked like <laughs> 10 of them just to make sure like, come on. Oh yeah. And, yeah. You know, but, um, so then New Year's Eve came, and of course, you know, I got to have a bottle of champagne, and so I went right back to it, and I forget exactly what happened. I think I called my girlfriend that had been sober two years, and I said, you know, I, I think I have a, and she's one of my best friends from college. I, I am drinking, and it's getting worse, and the blackouts are getting worse, and my marriage is falling apart, and I don't know what to do. And she had mentioned to me, she said, you know, Kristen, I was doing what you were doing, and I ended up passing out in the bushes at a resort, and the ambulance came and got me, and I almost died, and child services tried to come and take my daughter, and she's like, if you don't stop drinking, something tragic is going to happen to your daughter, and I was like, okay, you know, and it, it sat with me, but it wasn't enough, and and then I, and then I finally did go to 12-step meetings. And I got 30 days under my belt, and then I went to a work meeting, and that's where I decided I could have a couple glasses of wine. I ended up drinking way too much. I don't remember getting to my hotel. And I ended up throwing up in the middle of the night, and um, I could have died. And so that scared me. That was in February. And then I just got to the point. I'm like, Kristen, what is it going to take you? Like, do you want to do a T-chart? And I wrote out everything that's happened in my life. And I saw that, you know, my sister gave me a devotion, and it said life is is not a circle, it's a spiral. And the lessons will keep coming and presenting themselves to you each time. And if you learn the lesson, it'll bear great fruit. But if you don't, the consequences are going to get worse. And I went on a girl's trip, and I, I woke up once again, blackout, you know, that's the name of the game. I blacked out all the time. I'd always drink too much. And I woke up and I just, like, surrendered. I was just, like, like, I just couldn't do it anymore. I knew that if I kept drinking, I had already blacked out. I had already scared people. I had thrown up in my sleep. I had a DUI that something was going to happen. Like, the next lesson was going to be something with my daughter. Like, it had to be. Because all the yets were starting to take place and I physically hurt I I felt shame I felt guilt it just and I remember reaching out to a girl um on the online recovery and I and she said Kristen you don't have to feel like this anymore and I just I surrendered and I I just I stopped comparing myself to all the people that might have drank more than me you know and I stopped saying oh you did a great job you have a career you work out you do this you you still achieve all these things when deep down inside I was dying. I just, it just, I stopped. And that's when I embraced anything and everything. My, as a sponsor through 12 steps, I did acupuncture. I tried to learn about the disease. I told my friends, my family, anybody that's in my circle that I touched. And, um, I did it for my daughter at first, but I, the coolest thing about the whole process is, like, I learned to love myself again. And I, it's been a long journey of drinking and trying to get acceptance from all the wrong places. And I'd say the one thing that recovery has taught me is just it's empowered me to be okay with me. And I don't, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, seven months into it, recovery every day and 
I just got tired and I just I didn't want to see what what the tragedy would be because I knew it was it was going to be something really tragic and I was like extremely lucky God looked out for me to get me this far alive so wow wow that's powerful Kristen and I can identify with so much of your story that you just sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> me so too. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow, that is really amazing. And look at you here, you know, getting seven months. That's just really uh, amazing. I'm really happy for you. And the I love what you said about finding me. I didn't, I never understood that I was, um, that I couldn't deal with me that you know when i was drinking i didn't realize that that was a part of it um because i was outgoing and you know the social like you and and it just it never 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 even entered my mind that that was what was wrong is that i was trying to you know shape shape myself so that's really cool i think i don't know if i found me in seven months it, you know it takes a lot of work to to find that um so I, I'm just curious. I just you know, one thing that you, um, I love that. By the way, I love that about the spiral, and because um, mm-hmm. it's so true. We, we, so many of us have so many things happen along the way, and you know, it's kind of like you know, pay attention, and you know, you can get off of this. And I know I didn't. Um, so it's good that you did. Um, it's really, it's fantastic. Um, I'm just curious. You said you got a DUI, and I'm just thinking about our earlier conversation before we went live. And I'm sorry, I cringe at the word too. Um, but it, um, I also, you know, I can I kind of look back at that now as un- almost a gift at, because it was something that finally, you know, well, it took a couple of them, but it finally got me to get sober. Um, but I was curious, when you did have that DUI, did you get any, at that time, did you have any classes or did you have any education after that? Or I, I forget if you said you were found, you were lost your license for a while. Did you take any of the classes? Yeah, it's funny. The, the classes I took, well, I was able to kind of like pay a fee to kind of, you know, go through your classes, so there's ways to kind of skirt the system and get through it a little faster if you're willing to pay more fines, but I did have to go to one course, and I remember, you know, I was looking around, and I'm like, I am, these people are losers, like, and I'm just being honest in how I felt, but I just, like, some of them didn't have a job, you know, I just, I was so judgy, and my ego was off the charts, and I, I thought that I, yeah, I was not... I was not in a place that I was, like, open to the counseling they were giving me because I, I was at that point where, oh, you know, everybody gets a DUI, it's okay. You know, I wasn't in the right mindset. I think one yeah, of the more well, powerful parts of your story, too, Kristen, is that, you know, because there's such a – I mean, at the time that we're going through it, I think we all feel like we're so unique and so alone and we're going through these things and we're just, you know, terrible people doing terrible things and – you know, denial and justification, but there's there's a really predictable kind of trajectory. I think that the process of coming to terms with our drinking takes form, takes takes shape. And you know, you start with the test taking online. I mean, that's it, we a lot of us laugh about it now, kind of trying desperately to. We had a show where um, one of the co-hosts was talking about how she would sort of shape her answers to try to to try to weasel out of the cold hard truth that was staring her in the face and. Um, so we take tests and we Google for, 
information, and we do the, a lot of the comparing that you were talking about, and 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 me with a and a checklist too. You're talking about I work out and I have a good job, like without even realizing that people who don't have a problem with drinking don't have to make checklists about how they don't have a problem with drinking. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's such a common one, theme. So the one thing they said during the course that did stick with me is she's like, okay, if you're a normal drinker, when you, when you drink a glass of wine at lunch, you leave a little bit in your wine glass. In fact, you're okay just ordering one. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not. In fact, if I'm sharing a bottle of wine deep down inside, I'm freaking out. Like, that's not enough. Like, we right. need two bottles of wine. Like, yeah. what are you talking about, one glass? And so, like, I kind of knew right then, like, oh, my gosh, I, I think I do have a problem. But I just wasn't – I had so many things to hide behind. I had people to blame, you know, at the time, you know, I was my marriage was not good and – all these other things were happening. And so when I finally got divorced and I had to move and I was a single mom, I had nothing else to hide behind. And it was still there and it was in my face. And it's like, I couldn't, I couldn't lie to myself anymore. But it's funny now looking back, I see where I could have seen the writing on the wall, but I wasn't willing to accept it or believe it, Mm -hmm. but it was there. Yeah, I think that it it's it's a it definitely is a process, and it's it's interesting because we can have things like, you know, bigger jackpots like a DUI or something something kind of major happen, and it should be enough we think to scare us into getting sober, but it isn't. And sometimes it's kind of a a quiet moment of desperation, kind of an emotional bottom that is the thing that finally gets us to surrender. I think you described that really eloquently about how, you know, you just you have that flash of lucidity where you think this is not going to ever go anywhere good every time i drink this is what happens and um so it's you know people keep i think sometimes people wait for this giant flash of of discovery and understanding and and certainty that they're an alcoholic but it it's it can be kind of a you know kind of a whisper in your ear that says you deserve more and you need to you need to get help um, one question that I that I have for you too, because I, you know, you describe it. You you went through a lot there over you know a pretty short period of time. It sounds like, and so when you did finally get sober, and you know we all have those hardships and things that we're hiding behind or drinking at, and one of the things that a lot of us, including me, find the most difficult is so we put down our, the drink, we put down our anesthesia, but the circumstances in our life don't change. You know, still a single mom, still have to work, still have to take care of a child. Um, you know, we have to sort through things like fear of abandonment or rejection, some of the things that we were numbing out in our past. And so what was that experience like for you in early recovery? And what were some of the things that were helpful to you to start to process those feelings that we that we hide from in our drinking? Man, I really think it's the, the recovery community. I mean, it is so unbelievable, whether it's a 12-step program or an online recovery group, you you tell them anything and they love you unconditionally. Like, I don't even know these people and they care about me. And it's like this, like, whole, like, me too. So for me, I made friends within the recovery group. And if no matter how I was feeling, so, like, in the beginning, I hit the, what they call, I guess, the pink cloud where I was like, yay, I'm not drinking, I'm feeling great, I surrendered, I don't have to keep coming back to this place where I physically feel horrible and mentally and emotionally and I and then all of a sudden right after 30 days I I hit a wall and I remember I couldn't even walk into public I reached out 
to somebody in my recovery group and I'm like, all right, I can't even go in and buy a gallon of milk right now. And I don't, and then I lost all motivation at work for like a week. Like I just, I, I didn't know if I should like take a leave of absence. And, but really it was just like reaching out to my sponsor, to my online group, to the friends I made and they talked me through it. Cause you know, a lot of these women have years of sobriety and they're like, that's completely normal. Do this, eat chocolate. I went, I ate so many French fries <laughs> and, and, and then once I got through like kind of just, glad that I didn't pick up a drink I been exercise and acupuncture because I'm I guess I wanted to focus on you know I I was kind of sick of like okay I can't drink I know that no matter you know don't even if your your falls off don't drink all right I got that but what can I do what's exciting now that I am sober you know and so then it was like I started getting into like some holistic stuff and like um, understanding how alcohol is bad for you, whether you're an alcoholic or not, and what's good for your body and your mind, and meditating and yoga, and uh, that was really spiritual. And praying, I pray a lot. I pray a lot, and I feel very blessed that I don't have the obsession. But I'm very scared because I know it is tomorrow, and want to like pick up a drink. In fact, a week ago, the weather changed. I'm down south, and it, it was a beautiful day, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an urge came, like, oh, my gosh, you're never going to have a glass of wine on a beautiful day like today. And I totally knew I needed to go to a meeting, and, um, you know, and it passes. It always passes. That's the one cool thing. But for me, it's like I have a little toolbox now, and... You know, whether it's prayer or acupuncture or yoga or my recovery group or online. I mean, I the online thing is awesome because you can be in your car and something happens and you can go right online and post and, like, 20 people will get back to you and support you and love you. And um, Yeah, that really has so changed recovery, I think, for, like, in a really positive way, having that instant support. Because we, we kind of need that in the beginning, especially, or yeah, not just the, the beginning. Hour, not, I mean, you guys, seriously, if it wasn't for you, because I'm like, where are all the cool women that don't drink? Like, where are these people? Because <laughs> I want to be like them, but I can't find them. Because you don't know where to find people at first, right? You have your friends that drink, and now you're trying to go find women that you connect with that you can laugh with and be yourself. And and I didn't know where to go. Like, you know, the grocery store, church, like where, you know, and so like the bubble hour was like a big part of you know, having women to relate to. Oh, it's so great well, to hear that. Too, Thank you. Yeah, it, it is. And it, it's funny because, like, as time goes by, you find out that they're, like, everywhere. I literally just went to a store. I ran out really quick before the show started, and I saw one of my friends from my recovery group, just, like, a person who makes me smile just by seeing her face. It was like, wow, <laughs> this is just yeah. an unexpected surprise, and it's just, you know, because, you know, at first, you, but you don't know because I certainly didn't hang around with anyone who didn't drink. It made me feel uncomfortable, even though Ellie stopped drinking before I did. I was like, yeah, we'll hang out once a year for now because I, I, you know, I would have had to face me. So my drinking. Um, yeah, well, and, you know, I'd be interested to have, Kristen, if you don't mind, you know, for the people that are listening who are kind of in that you know, pre-contemplative, contemplative stage, want to make the next step towards building a recovery community but aren't so sure how to go about doing it, do you mind describing kind of what that process is like for you? I mean, deciding to go to a 12-step meeting, 
finding one to go to. You know, you mentioned that you reached out to somebody who you knew had been sober before, but it is hard to know where to start, especially when there's half of you that really wants it and half of you that's saying don't go because you still, you, you know, you said you went for your daughter and there's a lot of people who go in for one reason and end up staying for themselves. But so how how did you go about doing that and, and what was it like for those for those people who are contemplating taking the next step? You know, I I told myself if you're gonna do this it's gonna be uncomfortable and like you're just gonna have to like do it because what you're doing is not working. And I like to isolate though. So that was one thing that um I did a lot in the beginning too, which wasn't good. Um but as far as like I just started doing a little bit of everything. Um it's kind of like you have to, like, just get out there and then – because I, I will be honest. Like, when I – the first time I went to a 12-step meeting, there was one girl, and I think she wanted my sobriety more than I wanted it for me at first, and she kind of scared me away because it was, like, intense. And I wasn't on her level. Mm. So she isn't a bad thing, right? She just, like, cared about me. She wanted to help me. And I and I actually reached out to her and, and thanked her later because she was a big part, but it was, like, almost, like, overkill. But – it was a combination, like the online, just reaching out. The online was huge for me. And then just going to different um, 12-step meetings. You have to go to a bunch and just kind of, you know, meet as many people as you can. And then it's like someone will introduce you, kind of like, um, well, I felt like I was being set up on, like, recovery dates <laughs> for friends. <laughs> like, oh, you need to, yeah, you need to meet so-and-so. She's sober, and you guys would, like, you know, you guys both work out. You know, go meet her. Like, I just got set up on one the, well, a week ago. I met this girl at Starbucks, and I could see us being, like, really good friends. But, um, yeah, you kind of have to ask and put yourself out there within the recovery community, but you can meet a ton of people. I mean, it's just. It is the nicest group of people you'll ever meet. It's so unconditional, but you have to show up and go. And there will be people that are a little intense. You can't, you know, you have to be open-minded. And that was one thing I had to learn really quick is, you know, it's been such a humbling, like, the coolest experience. I, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't trade it for, now I love it. But if you would have asked me that seven months ago, I I couldn't believe it. How would I do all the first? Which now the first things are really fun for me, but there's still a few things I haven't done. <laughs> um, you mean like sober yeah. first, like first vacation, first holiday, first yeah. summer, things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I've done the Those wedding, I've done a sales conference, you know. I did, you know, a couple of things. Like the, the uh, intimacy thing will be a first for me. I'm still freaked out about that. I need to go listen to that show. Um, but yeah, that kind of stuff makes me a little nervous, but you know, I think back to high school yeah. and college before I started drinking and my, I was so happy without it. I was so happy without alcohol. And um, I forget how my acupuncturist said it, but she's like, why do you need to make yourself unconscious make yourself unconscious to enjoy life because that's really what you're doing and you won't you don't remember it anyway and I'm like I didn't think about it that way and my doctor also said to me that's known me since middle school he's like anybody that drinks more than I think he said like two drinks a week might as well hire a hitman to follow them around and just go ahead and kill kill yourself you know you'll you'll die at early life and and they'll kill you and torture you I forget how he said it but Basically, it's like hiring a hitman and ending your life early by drinking. And I'm yeah, like, I'm that's like, so true. 
it yeah. washes out so much. It does, and you know we're numbing out pain and we're numbing out discomfort and things that are happening, situations in our life. But you, we don't get to pick the things we numb out. Everything else goes with it too: joy, connection, happiness, peace of mind. You know, it took that I had that was a realization I had, especially in early sobriety. I was like, okay, when is the joy and the peace of mind and the happiness going to come? You know, like I've. I'm no longer hungover, and I appreciate that. My life isn't as chaotic, but I was sort of waiting for my brain to repair itself enough to be able to experience the, you know, the good side of things because I had been numbing out every emotion for so long. And it does take some patience, I think, in in the early days because, you know, we're actually rewiring our brain, and our brain is relearning how to produce, you know, serotonin and all the chemicals that that we robbed it of for over years of drinking, it's a, it's, it is a slow suicide, really, especially for those of us who are alcoholic and not just like to drink. You know, we have to learn a whole yeah. new set of coping mechanisms. You know what's interesting, yeah, I and I'm like curious. Didn't... Oh, go ahead, Kristen. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just well. Okay, I was just gonna say. I think it's interesting. Like, there's we. So we tell ourselves this big lie that like you have to have drinks to have fun or to be comfortable or something. Um, and then you know, once you're sober for a little while, I think there comes a point where you're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, just like you both have already said. You know, I was numbing out all the good things. And you know, so I was wondering for you in your journey, Kristen, because it sounds like you have found that. Like there. I feel like there, there, there's like a magical switch when you go from, you know, oh, my God, what do I do? I'm not, you know, drinking anymore. Like, how am I ever going to have fun again? To, like, all of a sudden, like, to me, it was like a revelation, like, oh, my God, I was wasting my life and ruining things by drinking. You know, like, I, you know, now I get to remember things. Now I get to have fun. Do you feel, do you feel that way, Kristen? Like, have you had that, like, to me, it's like this big aha moment. It's like, oh, wait a minute. That wasn't fun. That's what I'm just told is fun. It sounds like you've, you've found that. Is that, is that true? Or do you feel that? Yeah, I mean, I can't believe how much, I mean, because I, I would be on these online, you know, be on the online recovery group, and there are pe- people posting, sober is better. And I'm like, sober is not better, because <laughs> I'm only, like, three months sober, and I'm trying to, like, not drink. And I'm like, what are they talking about? And then they would say, just keep coming back, the miracle will happen. And I'm like, what is this miracle thing that they are talking about? They are crazy, because right now I'm just miserable. I'm eating a whole bag of M&Ms every night. I'm praying. I'm going to meetings. I'm just trying not to drink. And it was. It was just like this magical switch took place where, like, there was – like, I accepted I couldn't drink, but it was like I was almost just, like, do whatever they say, just, you know, following. But all of a sudden, I really believed it. Like, I just believed, like, okay, oh, my gosh, life is going to be so much better not drinking. Like, it really is, like, laughing. I remember the first time I laughed. I was in the kitchen with my dad, and he said something really funny. And I laughed from, like, the deepest part of my stomach, and I... I felt such joy that I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is like a sober, like, laugh. This is what they're talking about. And um, it was really cool. I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but, you know, it's just little things like that. Um, You know, I don't know. I don't know. Talking about it, I I get tongue-tied because I'm just, um, I just feel, I 
I know what I just rem- it was just the other day when you know I was going back and forth. Should I drink? Should I not drink? And then the shame and the guilt, and I I can't even believe I'm at a place where I see life is going to be okay without a drink in my hand. Mm. And um, I had a friend that lost a leg in a motorcycle accident, and we were talking, and he said, "Kristen, if I can live life with one leg, he's like, you'll be all right. You'll you'll be able to live without a drink." You know, you're like, and, you know, it's just like, drinking was so important to me. I I mean, I drank everything. If it was lunch, I drank. If it was dinner, I drank. If, you know, I was going to clean the house, I drank. If I had a project to do, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know how to live life without drinking. And um, it's funny because I went to visit a girlfriend on Friday night. And she's probably, I only see her a couple times a year, and she's probably the one friend I haven't like, sat down and told my whole story, because I only see her, you know, twice a year, but um, she offered me a glass of wine, and I declined, and she was fine with it, but she held on to that wine glass the entire time I was there, and just kept filling it up, and filling it up, and then we ate a couple pieces of pizza, and she did not let go, and I just remember, that was me, it was like, wine was a ball and chain, like, I, from the time I walked into my house, and opened up the wine, and poured it, I didn't stop until... You know, I drink a bottle or two, and um, I just, I'm just so glad I'm not there anymore. Like, I, Sunday nights, like, I used to be done by 7 p.m. I'm running errands. I'm doing things. I I remember going to bed. I mean, I don't know. Just life is so much better, but it takes time. It took a, it took a long time. And I, I mean, I have, you know, in the 12-step recovery group, they do a chip system. And you get a white chip for your surrendering, and I have five white chips. So it took me five white chips to, you know, and at any point, you know, it's just today. Just today I'm not drinking. So I, staying in the present is um, something that has been really helpful, too. Yeah, definitely. I kind of rambled yeah, on. Life, Sorry about that. Not at all. No, no that right. was great. You know, life life does happen, and it is, you know, you can have, like you said, like last week you were contemplating a drink, and this week you're like, yay, I'm sober, <laughs> and it's, you know, it, that that is, you know, a really good point. That's why, you know, it's, it, you know, you're just, just living in the day is so much easier, and, you know, if you have a bad day, you know, it just, sometimes it's a matter of just hanging on no matter what, and then, you know, because rather than, you know, giving up because the next day, you know, you may be thrilled to be sober again. And then I think it becomes, you know, more and more of a habit. But it is, I, I, I mean, I find that it's still something that you have to keep front and center and just, you know, remember that, you know, that we're doing this for a reason that, you know, because even, you know, every life just continues to happen, you know, so we're all going to face things down the road, things that are going to be challenging for us. And that is, you know, where that's it programmed in our brains to be our knee jerk to say, oh, I need to drink over this. You know, like you said, the sunshine, sunshine the, when the warm weather comes, that's so triggery for so many people. And we actually even just talked about that. We're going to do a show about that because it's, Seasonal changes, you know, for some people it's winter, for a lot of people it's summer, you know, it's like, oh, hey, you know, um, you know, it's time to have a drink. Yeah, um, I don't know, it was really weird. The warm weather came and it was like a breeze hit my face and it was like aliens were taking over my body going, ooh, this is, this is the perfect drinking weather. And I was like, what is going on? I got to go to a meeting right now, but. Yeah, it's yeah. very common. But I will tell you, the 12 steps, 
work that I have done has taught me a lot about I used to always try to control and and um, I was always future tripping and planning my life and I cared what everyone thought of me and not that that all goes away but it's cool the stuff that you learn in recovery helps you for things even outside of alcohol um, whether it's a situation at work or a relationship or just an insecurity, like I actually can use my recovery tools to help me work through a situation. And if I use the tools and I pray about it, they work themselves out, which is like the coolest thing I've ever experienced. I used to worry and worry and worry and, um, and have just really bad anxiety and be really insecure about things and people and now using my recovery tools, you know, it's it's been a game changer. Like, my life is just so much – I manage it so much better because I'm not trying to control everything. Yeah. <laughs> so true. I always say the world could use a 12-step program. <laughs> everybody, you know, of some kind. Everybody, because, you know, it's just it's, it's just so simple. And, but nothing that I would have ever thought of before. So, Kristen, how's your dad been through all this? So you said he got sober when you were four. That must be, I'm I'm assuming you've told him, and uh, he must be thrilled. Yeah, he always, yeah, my dad dad is like my mentor, but, and I love him to death, but the the really funny thing is the one thing we didn't connect on is the whole drinking thing because of the way, he went about educating me. He did the old school, well, when you've hit rock bottom or you've had enough pain, you'll stop kind of thing. And <laughs> and I don't, I mean, I'm not upset with him or anything because that's just how, like, his, the old timers or his generation kind of looked at alcoholism. Like, no one talked about it. I just thought my family didn't drink because of church um, as part of the religion. I had no idea, like, my, you know, dad was full-blown 12-step recovery and had to go to rehab and, you know, all this stuff. No one talked about it. And um, so, but he did go to my first 12-step meeting with me and watch me pick up a trip, and he'll come to my one-year meeting. But, uh, you know, it's funny. I am exactly like him, and now it all makes sense, and we have a great relationship. But I did tell him I want to handle things differently with my daughter and educate her from the time that she asked I mean, I don't. I went out there 15 years, like going at it, like just trying to figure this thing out and trying to cut back and not drink, and then only drink during the week, and then only drink at home. And you know, I the things I did to try to figure out how to drink. I look back and I can laugh at some of it now, but um, I don't want my daughter to have to do that. If if you know, maybe she could try it out a few times, you know, or I don't know. I mean, I guess. Once again, I won't have control over what she does, but I do want to educate her because I think it could have been a little different for me, but once again, I don't want to change my journey just because I love where I'm at today. But, but I how, old, how old is your daughter now, Kristen? She's two and a half. Two and a half, yeah, that's great. She'll she'll know a sober mom. That's really that's really a gift. And along yeah, the I same lines, I, I have a question, too, about, like, I mean – people always think too about this when they get sober, like how am I going to handle the people in my life and my social life and 
talking to people and what what do I need to explain to people about my not drinking and what don't I and how have you handled that part of it in early recovery? I mean, some people like to be very open and honest with friends and others choose to keep it more private. And how has that process been for you? Yeah, I came out and told all my friends and family and um, I'm pretty open. Now, there's certain situations where for whatever reason I won't feel that I can be vulnerable and share that but for like for the most part I've been lucky enough to tell people and I tell people at work now and uh, I'm just I'm like I don't drink and they're like okay you know and it's funny because I'm think I'm, I gotta be ready for this big explanation and then they go <laughs> okay and then they move on I'm like what do you mean that's it you don't want to know <laughs> yeah for most so, people it's really not a thing you know, yeah like, yeah but um yeah I'm pretty open about it I I think I do want to talk more about it. I don't want it to be like my dad's generation. And um, it's funny because I'm not trying to date right now. I shouldn't be with my recovery program, but I kind of got set up on a date. And so I went on the one date and then he asked me on a second date. And so we went to Starbucks. And um, I said, I need to tell you something. And I just came out and told him, I said, look, I'm in recovery. My sobriety is my most important thing. And so I can't be with someone that uh, drinks. Um, If you want to drink, you know, occasionally for me, I'm okay if someone drinks, you know, once or twice a month, but I can't be around it. I don't want it in my house daily. Like I just can't have that. And so that was kind of, it was very empowering. I felt, you know, I owned it and it felt really good, but, um, I was really worried about that, yeah. but yeah, I'm I'm pretty open about it. And have you faced? I mean, how I think did that sometimes go? Our, our, I'm yeah, I was going to say how do, how was that received? Sometimes our fear is that there's going to be judgment or it's going to be some big deal. And <laughs> in my said, experience, that has not happened. Yeah, it was. So he said, "Are you an alcoholic?" And I said, "Yes, I am." And he said, "Oh, okay. So do you go to meetings and get chips?" And I said, "Yeah. How do you know all this?" He's like, "Because I've done some work." In it. <laughs> oh wow. Uh huh. Yeah. The more you talk about it, I feel like our people are everywhere. You know, it's just we're not, Mm -hmm. like, connecting and we don't know each other. But, um... Yeah, I think people are, are for the most part, very respectful of it. I mean, it's so prevalent. Alcoholism and addiction is so prevalent. And, you know, the vast majority of people have been touched by it somehow, directly or indirectly. And... A lot of people, I mean, you know, when you say, we've talked about this a lot on the show, but when you say I'm an alcoholic, people sort of have one idea of what that means. But when you talk about being in recovery, you know, people are curious about that. And I think everybody understands, you know, a story of struggle and redemption and suffering and overcoming hardships. And and that's really what recovery is all about. And it takes such a big piece of that shame and that stigma away because it's, you know – even people who have had bad experiences, I think, with alcoholism. I mean, I have some friends whose parents were alcoholics and they never got sober and they sort of think of alcoholism as a one-way street to nowhere. And I get to be the first person that shows them that there's hope and that there is a, you know, there is a possibility. There's no cure for addiction, but there is a possibility for recovery. And so by being more open about it, you know, collectively, I think we're slowly changing the world's perception of what it means to both be an addict and, and also to be in recovery. Um, and it has not been my experience. I mean, I was open, as was Amanda, about it pretty much from, from day one. And what I received, to my su- pleasant surprise, was really undying support. And also a lot of other people will come out of the woodwork and share their stories of 
pain and suffering and and um, hardships with me because the more vulnerable I'm able to be with other people, the more open they are with me too. And it really helps to forge some awesome, authentic connections with people that I I never had before because I did, was doing that perfect thing, you know, trying to be perfect. Mm-hmm. If anyone scratched the surface, they might know how broken I felt on the inside. And when I'm able to, you know, be open about my brokenness, but also my my victories over hardship, then then it, it's a it's a really the connections that I form with people now, whether they're in recovery or not, are so much more authentic and immediate and genuine. And it's it's a it's a it's almost hard to put into words how empowering is a good word for it, but also you know it yanks me out of my my propensity to to isolate to think I'm you know terminally unique and that nobody's like me and we all have these. Everybody has something inside that they don't want the world to know, and and when they come across somebody who's willing to talk about it, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, it's, the perfectionism thing that is really what could have kept me drinking for a long time. I was so afraid to like let people down and not be perfect and not be accepted. And um, the one the one thing that I think about every day is I. And Brene Brown, I've done a lot of her stuff in recovery, and I, I'm not trying to get people to like me anymore. I just try to go into a situation and be authentic. And if I and if I'm just me, and I'm not trying to like please and be a chameleon and get you to like me, but if I'm just me, then it doesn't matter if you like me or not. And I didn't know that before drinking. Yeah. And I'm so worried. I spent so much time and energy worrying about. I'd worry about what a stranger thought of me. I mean, it was insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's exhausting so, living like that. It is so exhausting. I. Um, yeah, it's very, it's very, very freeing to. I mean, the double life of of an active alcoholic is, it's more than just hiding drinking and trying to appear on Christmas morning like everything's fine. It's. It's like a the double mental life of this shame and isolation and darkness that you feel, and then you know trying to polish up the outsides and show everybody i mean I just the the masks I wore that it was like almost like the alcohol was the thing that held all my characters together because i was it mm-hmm. was somebody different to everybody, and it was such a huge part of my you know the drinking is was kind of what I perceived as holding it all together and and when I put the drink down and I just had to be me everywhere it was it was scary but it was almost immediately rewarding because the people that accepted me for who I was you know it was it was like a magnet to attract the kind of people I wanted to know anyway and it got rid of a lot of the toxic people in my life who you know needed me to be a certain way to be my friend they disappeared Mm -hmm. you know so it was sort of a self-selecting process it's pretty cool and that's not just people in recovery that's just anybody you know, I don't really yeah. want to be friends with somebody who's judgy about alcoholics or people who, you know, aren't perfect. I don't. I had a, I, I had people like that in my life because I tried desperately to make them like me. And when I when it was revealed the full extent of my problem and they didn't want anything to do with me, I you know it's it was kind of like okay, well, good riddance. I don't need you anyway. Very empowering. <laughs> Yeah, I actually had to change um, careers because sobriety was more important. So, like, this past year is when the year changed, like, divorce, move, get sober, change my career. Wow. But I just, I I was managing people, and they were sucking the life out of me. 
That's a really important point that you make, though, Kristen, because one of the things that that we hear a lot in early recovery is that you know you so you know you hear these sort of bumper sticker things like the only thing you need to change is everything, and they can be kind of intimidating. But to make a choice to change careers to protect your recovery, that's a big thing. Good for you. I mean, those can be very hard decisions decisions to make. Yeah, was I that... mean, it was. It got to the point I realized it was life or death when you start. I guess the yet start coming because you think, oh, I'm not that bad. Oh, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as so and so. And you know, looking over the fence and comparing yourself to others is you know a dangerous place. Um, yeah. And then when I looked at it, I'm like, you know, it could be tragic. And physically yeah. too. I mean, you don't realize what alcohol does to your body physically. Oh, it's horrible. We we talked about. I mean, we've we've had such a nice conversation that we didn't really get around to picking a a, a quote unquote topic for the show. It's been it's you know we've covered a lot of interesting things, but one of the things we talked about as a potential topic was that comparing phenomenon, and in the ways that that kind of keeps us stuck in denial. Like we can say things like, "Well, I haven't had a DUI, so I can't be an alcoholic," and then we get a DUI, and we just move the line of comparison. Mm-hmm. You know, but I haven't had two. Or I didn't hurt anybody, or it was just bad luck. I mean that that's that's another common process that people have with the. Um, and I think it can be difficult sometimes too when people go to a recovery meeting for the first time because you're going to hear such a, a, a range of stories. And I think you describe very powerfully the difference between being open and willing and not being open and willing or not being ready. Because when you come in and you're sitting in your first recovery meeting or 12-step meeting and you hear somebody tell this incredible story of jail and, you know, mayhem and chaos and you're only at an emotional bottom, you haven't hit any of those yet yet, it can be so tempting to compare and say, I'm not that bad, so I can't be an alcoholic. And I give you a lot of credit for sticking with the process, even, you know, after 30 days and then having a slip and then coming back because... If, if we're paying attention, I think we can notice the ways that we change that line in the sand and just start comparing ourselves to worse and worse situations in order to, you know, build that argument that we can't be an alcoholic, and even though that argument is getting increasingly weak. I think that's something that a lot of people go through. And I, you know, and, and I do it in the reverse. I do it with recovery, too. I, when I was in early recovery, I would compare my recovery to other people. <laughs> think I'm doing it wrong she looks like she has so much better recovery I mean it's just human nature I think to hold ourselves up against other people but everybody's journey is completely unique Amanda did you find that to be true for you too and in, in in, as part of your process I mean I think one of the things about your story that's interesting is that when you come from a family that has pretty you know when you when you've witnessed what you perceive as hardcore alcoholism, you know, somebody who never got sober or who has, you know, passes out in the road and, you know, has been arrested six times and even though you might be struggling, that's your idea of what an alcoholic is? Yeah, I think that can be a very hard thing to overcome because you're still going to work and you still have, yeah, you, you can still check all these boxes like I'm still employed and I run marathons or I'm, you know, there's, I think the minute we notice that we're making those arguments in our head, that's that should be one of the bigger red flags. Yeah, yeah it's funny. Absolutely. My my meemaw, because um, I I said to her one time, God rest her soul, that I, you know I think you know I might have a problem, and she's like, well, if you have to ask me, I think you know the answer, and 
You know, she just had a real <laughs> simple way of, you know, so she nailed it on the head the first time I came to her. She was a big part of it. She raised me. And so, I mean, I, I feel like I knew the whole time. I just was trying to validate it or understand it. Or I thought, well, you know, I achieve all these other things. I will figure out how to do this. If I only drink beer and I don't do shots, then I, you know, I'll figure this out. Or like, you know, I still have a career. I got married. I have a house. I have a car. You know, but, you know, it's just crazy the things that you tell yourself. And um, yeah, I, I I lied to myself for a long time. So the only person I hurt was, you know, me. It, it's very freeing when you surrender and you're just honest with yourself. Very. And, um, I, and you you never have to feel that way again. And it's not easy, though. I will say being so, like, recovery has been hands down the hardest thing I've ever done. That's it is, probably the yeah. most worthwhile thing. I think sometimes the hardest things reap the biggest rewards if we can just be patient and, and you know, even if it just comes down to not drinking for one hour and get to the next hour, I mean, it's sometimes we have to break it down into such small increments, but... I love the thing that you hear people say, like, I never woke up the next morning and said, oh, I wish I drank last night. You know, it's, right. <laughs> it's just a matter of shuffling through the harder times and, and those rewards start to pile up. Just as alcoholism is progressive, so is recovery. No doubt about it. I like the fast forward um, technique I learned online, too. Because, you know, at, in the beginning, if I, you know, was out and about, went shopping, saw some ladies drinking wine, I... I, I would get really resentful and be upset that I couldn't. and um, Or then I'd start, you know, fantasizing over a glass of wine. And and then I'd have to remind myself I didn't want one. I wanted a bottle. And then I'd stay. And then I'd spend more money. And, you know, it just, I knew where it would take me. And so I try to always fast forward if those, those thoughts come to mind and just remind myself it's never one drink. I mean, right. there's so many times I'd go into a situation and say, okay, I'm only going to have a couple glasses of wine. I'm only going to, you know, and that, and I'd close down the bar or, you know, don't remember getting home or, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it just, it never was enough. It never was enough. I remember having a realization at one point, too, as I was, you know, struggling to get sober. I was thinking, my gosh, I, I realized that it was easier for me to have no drinks than to have one. If I thought staying away from the first drink was hard, try staying away from the second. Because yeah, once yeah. that alcohol hit my system, uh, it hijacked my brain, and I was totally powerless. Again, it's that off switch. I just did not have an off switch, so I would be, you know, I was really fighting on a minute by minute basis to to not drink, and I would sort of think to myself like, this is hard. Not having this first drink is hard, but I know not having the second one is harder. So yeah, I, I used to buy just like stick the with it. Four, the four bottles that you could get, like the little bottles. And the air, like, I call okay, them the airplane. Have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, okay, I'm only gonna have one. Well, by the end of the night, all four of those little bottles were gone, and it didn't work. It never worked. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of stuff I can look back now and and kind of chuckle, but because they're just little things that I did that just didn't work, you know. But I think I'm always going to pay attention to everyone's alcohol intake. I, and maybe that's just me being an alcoholic. But even when I go running in the morning, if I jog by someone's house, I'll check out their recycling bin. I'm like, whoa, that, they drink a lot of wine. Or, you know, I'm always checking inventory. <laughs> I am too. I don't think that ever fully goes away. <laughs> it's not. 
And these and things are I'll so good. Amazed, like, Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'll be amazed now that I'm sober and I'm not drinking. Like, people actually sip a glass of wine and they don't finish it. And I never paid attention. I thought everybody drank on my level. Yeah. And now that I'm sober, I was at a friend's house and I watched her pour a glass of wine. And then she set it, like, on a, a shelf and she didn't even come back and, and take another sip. And I'm like, that full glass of wine has been sitting there for, like, over an hour and you haven't touched it. Like, you know, like, to it's me. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, it is. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that happened to me at a holiday I, party over Christmas. I was dreading going because I thought, oh, you know, this is, it was a crowd of my kids' friends' moms and, you know, I got dressed up and I went out because I, I like these people and I wanted to hang out, but I had sort of an exit strategy and I was ready to be bored out of my mind and we ended up sitting around a kitchen island and laughing and talking and of course I'm watching and I realized that there were 10 people around the kitchen island. One of them had a glass of wine in front of her that she had two sips of and everybody else was voluntarily drinking soda. And it just blew my mind. <laughs> and we were laughing and having a great time. And I was like, I felt like screaming, what's wrong with you people? You can drink. Why aren't you? Like, what's wrong? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's like the difference between alcoholics and non-alcoholics right there. Yeah. Yeah, when we realized that we were the ones that were drinking all of it and that uh, that's why we needed so much. I used to stock up for all my guests. You know anyone that was going to come to my house, but guess what? It was I was my guest. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody's going to have three bottles, so yeah, I need to get twelve yeah. bottles for four people, and yeah, I'm the one drinking it. It's true. It's so nice yeah, to be able to part- laugh about these things too, because they, you know, it. That's the other advantage of being around other recovering people. I took somebody to my one year medallion the first time I got sober, and. After the meeting, we were all laughing about these things, and she was kind of horrified. And I said, what's the matter? She's like, well, alcoholism isn't funny. And I said, well, no, alcoholism's not funny, but alcoholics are. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> funny people. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, yeah, can I just say the people I've met in this recovery community, like, amazing people. And I was talking to someone, and, they, and I don't know the scientific data, but they, they were saying they were comparing an addict's brain to someone that's like, you know, just a pretty amazing human being, and there's so many similar characteristics. And, and I'm like, gosh, because every alcoholic I've met, they're, like, really awesome people. Yeah. And, um, like, I just met yeah. the, the greatest people. It's never a I club agree. that I thought I wanted to be a member of, but now I'm grateful to be here, that's for sure. They yeah. They are pretty amazing people. So for those of you out there listening who are, are uh, thinking that you're alone or that, you know, your life is over, you're never going to have fun again, you know, you can take our word for it that it, it gets a whole lot better. And there's that first belly laugh that you have unassisted by alcohol where you're actually laughing, you know, from the very center of your soul. It, it feels really good. And it happens all the time. Yeah, it does. The the best thing and is one of the best and- things. Yeah. Someone told me that going to a meeting is like going to the bar just without the alcohol, and I was like, "Oh, I can do that." And <laughs> and it turns out it's true. Like it, it, like what I thought was fun in the bar. Well, even if I had fun, I didn't remember it because I was like you, Chris, and I blacked out all the time. And you know, and but now I get to like talk. We have the same story, you know, funny stories. We laugh, and I remember every last bit of it. It's cool. Yeah. It's such a freedom. Yeah, it's funny. My sister's like, Christian, you, you know, you don't even need alcohol to have fun. You dance and you have fun without it, and 
you're so much happier because I'd always have to like call her the next day and be like, okay, so what did I say? I don't remember going to bed. You know, tell me what I said. Did I embarrass myself? Like I had to do that whole song and dance and Mm. it is just so awesome to not have to do that anymore. And I am happier. I don't need to make my brain unconscious to have fun. And, um, sober is better. It is. Yeah. It definitely is. Well, ladies, we are at the end of our time. We're actually over a little bit. So um, we'd like to go around at the end of the show and um, just see if anyone has any closing thoughts that they'd like to leave with our listeners. Um, so we, we've already had some a lot of great thoughts tonight. But, Kristen, is there anything that you would like to um, add just as a closing thought for someone who might be trying to get sober? Any Uh, Just really, I want to thank you and Ellie and Catherine and Jean. Um, The bubble hour is the first thing I did that got me into recovery, and I would not be here today without you ladies and the online recovery group. And just try everything. It's, you know, I mean, for me, I tried anything and everything, and um, I'm just, uh, not to get teary, but I'm just, so grateful that I don't drink anymore. I'm just so grateful to have sobriety and um, to be on the spiritual path. It's it's just way better, and I'm very grateful. That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. That's so <laughs> great to hear, Kristen. Oh, I love it. How about you, Al? I was just time? I was just sort of I was thinking because I I was really really inspired by your story, Kristen. I mean, I think you are a, a shining example of reaching for it and taking care of yourself and overcoming fears and really throwing yourself into the middle of recovery and trying things like meditation and acupuncture. And so my closing thought was do what Kristen did because you did a really, really brave thing (laughs) and you did a great job. And, you know, to hear your story and to hear everything that you went through and, you know, the happiness that you feel, it comes across in your voice. I can really hear it. And it is, um, it's a shining example to anybody out there struggling. I mean, Seven months is a huge achievement, and it doesn't feel like that long of a time, but for an alcoholic to go one day without drinking is is a miracle in and of itself. And when you think that only seven months have gone by and look how much your life has improved, I think it's going to give a lot of people a lot of hope. So thank you very much for sharing so openly and for being on the show. Yes, absolutely, Kristen. I I I um I echo those same thoughts. You've really been inspiring tonight, and um, I just I'm so proud of you. And it's just it's so cool to hear. You can just hear the happiness in your voice. And you really can. Great. <laughs> um, I and one thing um that I really like that you shared too um. That is that, you know, when you went to recovery meetings, when you talked about people, you know, setting you up on dates, um, you didn't come out and say it, but it's clear that at meetings um, that you share um, so people get to know you. And I just wanted to add that. That's so important. You know, you can go there, uh, you can go to meetings, or you can, you know, anything that you can do, you can sit there and be quiet. And you're not probably not going to get that much out of it but you know Kristen clearly you've reached for it and you know you've reaped the reap the rewards for that so bravo Good to point. you for doing that because it's it's um you know that's it is it's hard to do but it, you know that's where you hear the happy people the people you know you know, well like you said Ellie too you got you know you got yourself in the center 
uh, put yourself out there and, um, you know, got to meet a lot of cool people because of it, because people got to know you. And you can do the same thing. I, I, I want to emphasize, Amanda, that's such a great point. And even in an online community, and, you know, if Amanda will talk about our websites and the closing of the show and those some resources of places that you can go. But even on an online community, you can just lurk and read. And that's a good, that's an essential part of the process of contemplating getting involved. But at some point, we all have to take that brave step and start to open up and share because that's when it, that's, that's the game changer right there. Because that's when you get the power of me too. And you hear that you're so not alone in this process. Absolutely. Well, um, again, Kristen, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. You just your your story was incredibly powerful and um, very genuine, um, and we really appreciate your service tonight. Um, so, as we close the show tonight, we'd like to direct you to our parent organization, which is ShiningStrong.org. There, you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now and other initiatives around recovery advocacy. Um, You can also visit the Bubble Hours website, which is thebubblehour.com, to find a link to many recovery resources, including Jean's blog, Unpickled, and Ellie's blog, One Crafty Mother. And you will also find our email address, which is thebubblehour at gmail.com. And if you could follow us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, please let us know your feedback about tonight's show and any other topic suggestions you may have. We thank you all for listening to the Bubble Hour and hope you have a great evening. Good night, ladies. Thanks, everyone. Good night, Kristen. Good night, Amanda. Good night. Thank you. Good night.